Well, it's good to be back. We were on vacation this week uh, as a family. My in-laws spend about half their year in the Outer Banks, North Carolina, so we kind of have a built-in vacation spot, which is nice um, to get a break after a, a busy month of May, and uh, it's good to get away, and it's good to come back. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here, and we want you to feel welcomed uh, here at our church. Today, I am starting a new sermon series that's going to focus on a topic that is very, very important to me, and that is the topic of leadership and values. And this series is going to be based on the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy, found in the New Testament. And so in these letters, Paul is writing to young Timothy, uh, whom he has mentored in the ministry, and he is sharing with Timothy his thoughts about sound teaching, and the importance of leadership in the church. And so we're gonna focus on these letters in the coming weeks, and I would encourage you to read these letters in the coming weeks, they are not very long. Uh, you can actually sit down and, and read both of them in, in one setting. But Paul begins the letter by telling Timothy, I urge you to remain in Ephesus and teach the divine training that is known by faith. The aim of such instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Paul is telling Timothy that this is the basis, the foundation of sound teaching. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. In our visioning process this spring, the committee, the task force that I was able to lead, affirmed very loudly that Training leaders is something that Woodmont has always done and it's something that we must continue to do as we look to the future. That is a very important uh, part of our church. And so for almost 79 years, we'll celebrate our 79th birthday next month, Woodmont has had many, many leaders, both lay and staff, who have given vision and oversight and, and leadership and, and support and financial support and everything to, to lead this church forward into the future. And, and so we are grateful for that and we don't ever wanna take that for granted. But what we wanna do is we wanna keep going and keep doing more of that. And so in addition to this sermon series on Sundays, uh, Jay and I, the next two weeks, well actually this week, we're gonna do a leadership uh, training for our new leaders on Wednesday night. But if you wanna come and join us, uh, then come and join us, six o'clock in Carpenter Chapel. And then a week from Wednesday, we're gonna welcome Ian Cron uh, back to give a presentation on the Enneagram and leadership. And Ian is a nationally sought after speaker. He's local, he's a friend, and uh, you don't wanna miss him. But let me begin this morning with a couple questions for you to consider. What is Christian leadership and why does it matter? What is Christian leadership and why does it matter? Why do so many people struggle to comprehend exactly what it is? It's not for everybody. Uh, it's, it's not easy. Many will say, give me a position so I can show you that I'm important, but Jesus actually says, no, you wanna be important? You need to humble yourself and go and serve others, then you'll be important. Paul writes to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. The problem is we live in a world that is very, very selfish 
and self-centered. And so if leadership involves being selfless, then many people are not up for the challenge. Tony Jarvis, former headmaster of Roxbury Latin, he passed away a couple years ago. He, he used to write a lot about leadership, and this is one of the things that he says. He says, whatever power a leader has is overshadowed by the second guessing and criticism that he or she receives for the decisions that he makes. Leadership does not confer happiness. Then he says, at the heart of all leadership at any age is character, the courage to cling tenaciously to a vision, the grit to exhaust yourself in helping others share that vision and the toughness to endure the blame for every difficulty along the way. And in my time in the ministry, in my time teaching, in my time leading nonprofits, I have found this to be profoundly true. John Maxwell, a former pastor who became a leadership guru, he's been a mentor to me, he says this, everything rises and falls on leadership. People determine the potential of the organization. Relationships determine the morale of the organization. Structure determines the size of the organization. Vision determines the direction of the organization, but leadership determines the success of the organization. Leadership matters and it always will matter. Now Jesus talks about leadership throughout his life and ministry. In Mark 8, he says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny self, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So we can conclude that Christian leadership, spiritual leadership, is always about serving others. It's about moving beyond self and focusing on the needs of others. And in our culture of self-absorption and self-promotion and social media that as far as I'm concerned has way more of a downside than an upside, this is a challenge. There's a classic book by Oswald Sanders that I've recommended over the years to uh, the leaders of Woodmont. It's called Spiritual Leadership. It's a great book. And in that book, he asks a series of questions. And I would say that these questions are very important for anybody who thinks that they want to lead uh, in a Christian setting. He says, how well do you maintain self-control when things go wrong? Do you think independently for yourself? How well do you handle criticism? Uh, can you turn disappointment into creative new opportunities? Do you collaborate and work well with others? Are you a peacemaker or a, a conflict maker? Do people trust you with difficult matters? Can you accept uh, opposition to your viewpoint without taking offense? Are you tactful? Can you forgive? Are you optimistic? Do you have passion burning in your heart? All of these are important questions for leaders to ask. When he writes to Timothy about the position of deacon, which is one of the primary leadership positions in the church, this is what Paul says. Deacons must be serious, not double-tongued, not indulging in too much wine, not greedy for money, and they must hold fast to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And let them first be tested, then if they prove themselves blameless, let them serve as deacons. Women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. And I would add men too. Let deacons be married only once and let them manage their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
And if you read First and Second Timothy, you'll see that Paul goes on to talk about other positions in the church. What are the characteristics? What are the requirements? And why does it matter? So as we begin this, this leadership and value series today, what I'd like to do this morning is raise this question, why does leadership matter? And I'm going to give you five kind of core qualities of Christian leaders, at least from my perspective, and you could probably add many more, but I want to share those with you this, this morning. And so the first quality of Christian leadership is that Christian leaders are servants who are willing to lead by example. We have another situation in Mark's gospel where the disciples, you remember this, are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. Sounds like a fraternity house, right? And finally, Jesus sits down with them and says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and a servant of all. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus taught this concept called servant leadership. He believed that one can only become great by being a servant. And Jesus never asks his disciples to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. And guess what? This concept of servant leadership can be applied to any other facet of life. Business, politics, nonprofits, families, marriage. It works. In the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, James and John have requested to sit on the right and the left-hand side of Jesus. And Jesus gets angry, gets frustrated with them. And he says, among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them and the great ones are tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We need to hear these words of Christ. True leaders are servants and they don't stop serving when they get elected to a leadership position. William Barclay, a famous biblical scholar, put it this way. He said, every economic problem could be solved if leaders lived for what they could do for others and not for what they could do for themselves. Every political problem could be solved if the ambition of leaders was only to serve the state and not to enhance their own prestige. Think about that. The divisions and disputes which tear the church apart would for the most part be never occur if the only desire of its leaders and members was to serve without caring about which position they occupied. When Jesus spoke of the supreme greatness and value of the leader whose ambition was to serve, he laid down one of the greatest practical truths the world has ever known. Christian leaders are first and foremost servants. Second, Christian leaders must be grounded in their faith and they must be willing to grow deeper. They must have a hunger to learn more and to grow deeper in their faith and then they have to work to do that. Um, some of you remember, especially if you're in the business world, 33 years ago, Stephen Covey wrote that book called The, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People still very relevant today. Do you remember what they were? He said, first, be proactive. Second, begin with the end in mind. Third, put first things first. Uh, uh, fourth, he said, think win-win. Fifth, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Sixth, synergize. And seventh, sharpen the saw. Keep learning. Well, a number of years ago, I was working on an article for the Tennessean, and I said, what would it look like if we identified the seven, uh, the seven habits of highly spiritual people or highly faithful people? And this is what I came up with. First, be disciplined. 
Carve out time every day for prayer and meditation and reading and stillness. Disconnect from all the noise of our culture that never turns off. Second, keep the big picture in mind. Human beings can get very worked up over little things that really don't matter. We often major in the minors. Third, know and then live your priorities. Good is the enemy of great. Jim Collins pointed that out years ago. Don't let the small and petty stuff rule the day. Know what matters most and choose to focus on that. If you don't get to the other things that are less important, that's okay. Fourth, treat other people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule, Jesus laid it out in the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine what our world would be like if more people lived like that. Fifth, show empathy and compassion Everybody is fighting some type of battle in life and we usually don't know what it is, but life is difficult and challenging and stressful. Sixth, form meaningful relationships with people who make you better. Not people who tear you down, not people who lead you the wrong way, but people who make you better, which means they have to be honest with you. The company you keep will pull you up or down. So be around people who influence you for the better. And then seventh, Avoid getting angry whenever possible, or at least deal with it in healthy ways. Anger, resentment, and bitterness takes us away from our spiritual center. I know this firsthand, and it also heavily affects our physical, mental, and emotional health. Anger makes us say and do things that that we regret. And so I believe that highly spiritual and faithful people try to find ways to remain cool, calm, and collected in the middle of the stressors of life. Leaders must never stop growing and never stop learning. Discipleship is a lifelong journey. It's one long classroom. And when you stop learning, then I believe you stop leading. Third, Christian leaders must be more concerned about the common good than they are about pushing their own personal agenda. In both Mark 9 and 10, Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be servant of all, and not just a few. Christian leaders must care more about the health of the body, the church, the congregation, than they do about their own agenda, whatever it might be. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi is famous for identifying the seven blunders of the world. I've preached on those over the years. Wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, knowledge without character, commerce without morality, science without humanity, worship without sacrifice, and politics without principle. These are the things that can lead us astray in life. Serving the common good often means putting your personal agenda or the thing that you're most uh, passionate about aside so that you can focus on the well-being of the larger group. Serving the common good means looking out for people who don't have a voice, looking out for people who might be left out, looking out for people who might feel like nobody cares about them or wants to listen to them or will be there for them and hearing them out. It involves listening, two ears, one mouth. And guess what? You might have to hear things that you don't agree with or that you don't like to hear, but that's a part of it. A Christian leader must be concerned with the common good, the well-being of all. Fourth, Christian leaders should work towards a vision for the future, 
and they must be willing to sacrifice to help that vision become a reality. We have too many complacent churches in our world right now, especially in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic. In the book of Proverbs, we read that without a vision, the people perish. And I've shared with you what Rick Warren, who recently announced his retirement, what he said years ago, he said, without a vision, the people go to another parish. And that's very true. And that's why we did this visioning process this spring, because we've got lots of ideas that we're going to be implementing in the weeks and months and years ahead. We have to know what we're trying to do at Woodmont, seeking God, worship, Prayer, Bible study, sharing love, small groups, classes, building authentic relationships with, with old people, older people, and newer people, younger people, and then serving others using our gifts to go out and make a difference both in the church and also in the world. But for a vision to be effective, that vision must first inspire the leader so that he or she will be able to then inspire others. Leaders working towards a vision are able to accept and manage and even welcome change because change is an inevitable part of life. And if a church is to grow and be effective in the 21st century, it must be willing to change. Churches must be willing to take risks and, and try new things. Sacrifice is always necessary. Nobody has ever achieved anything in life, in this world, in church, in business, anywhere, without a willingness to sacrifice and pay the price. And sometimes today, it seems like fewer and fewer people are willing to do the hard work. Leaders must pay a price if they are willing to act on their vision. And yes, you have to endure criticism. It's a part of it. I've learned that over the years. I think I learned it young. Jay was my youth minister and my dad was a, a pastor and I heard people say leadership is hard. People will attack you. They'll say things about you. And then you live it and you're like, wow, now I know what they're saying. Remember what Teddy Roosevelt said? He said, it's not the critic who makes the difference, but the one who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Nothing great can happen in a nation or in a church unless the leader and the leaders are willing to pay the price. As Paul says in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, I press on. Finally this morning, the fifth and yet the most important characteristic, I believe, of Christian leaders is that they are always pointing others to Jesus Christ and to his redemptive love. Christian leaders fail when they take their focus off of Christ. It's the painting that hung over the desk of the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, Matthias Grunewald, the picture of Jesus, or, or John the Baptist pointing away from himself to Jesus saying, I must decrease, but he must increase. Beware of leaders that point to themselves and say, it's all about me. In the church, it's not about me, it's about Christ. Jesus is very clear that his kingdom, his way is very different from the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world crucified him. He reminds us that life is about more than making a profit. It's about more than climbing the social ladder, moving to the nicer neighborhood. It's about more than collecting lots of toys and getting people to like you and getting recognized. Jesus's kingdom is about mercy and humility and compassion and generosity and peace and love and crucifying the ego as hard as that can be. 
It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. To take the words of Jesus seriously means that we are constantly challenging the way of the world, the status quo. We stand up for what we believe with courage and conviction. We pray often and we look to Jesus as our guide, our hope, our strength, and our peace. And so as we continue this series, I want you to remember this fifth quality that we're called to emulate Jesus, to be like Jesus, to think about Jesus, to understand what he said, what he did, what he taught, how he loved, how he healed. And then there's one more thing that I would add. Being a Christian leader means that you are always aware of the pain and the hurt that other people are carrying and you do whatever you can to minister to them to help them, to listen to them. And like we've said at Woodmont so many times before, sometimes your deepest pain and your deepest hurt is where your best ministry will come from. May God bless all of those who have the courage to be leaders in the name of Christ. Amen.